0: You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik, giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. A gloomy day and a gloomy night in the city of Toronto, but we are here to boost your spirits and boost your bank accounts. Wow, that was pretty good. I'm Aaron Korolnik here with The Edge, live on TSN 1050, streaming online, tsn1050.ca. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast little prize coming up to our podcast subscribers in the next few weeks. So you're going to want to stay tuned to TSN underscore Edge on Twitter for the latest on that. As I mentioned, Aaron Korolnik here for the next hour alongside my man Al's brother live in the TSN 1050 studio. Al's brother, I need to tell you, with this whole weather getting colder, the rain, nothing really to do during the day for a guy who has a lot of free time during the day. You know I do first up in the morning. We do this show at night. It's getting a little a uh, little sad on my end, but we need to come up with some, some productive wagers for our audience and for ourselves in the coming hour.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that's like. I work throughout the day. I'm not like <laughs> you, so I got a job here to do. I don't have that much free time uh, on my hands, and then we got this show that we got to do, which is so much fun. I'm looking forward. It's going to yeah. be a fun Tuesday show. I I agree. I'll be perfectly honest. I read
0: all of James Duthie's book today, the entire day. It was like 350 pages. I sat on my couch and just read a terrific book. Highly recommend Beauties, but it's more of a indictment on my lack of productivity as a human being. But on the subject of productivity, let's get to it. It's time to win. Grab a pen, a pad, and... Mark my words. Mark my words. Things in Dallas, as far as the Cowboys go, don't seem to be getting any better. We remember the first couple of weeks where they were putting up prodigious offensive totals. Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, wow. But the defense, horrible. And now it seems that the offense is going to be a big problem. We'll get back to the defense Right now, actually, because if you want to know how it's going in Dallas, Mike Nolan, who is the team's defensive coordinator, one of the worst defenses in recent memory, he had this happen in his press conference yesterday.
2: The frustration for him as well is just, you know, look, when he misses them, nobody, Whoops, excuse me, I got something in my eye. Um, just had some Tabasco on my finger and it <laughs> oh, went in gosh. my eye. That wasn't good. Oh, <laughs> nice, Mike. Good. It's terrible.
3: Jeez.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> Hang on, guys. We'll be right back.
2: Give me one second.
0: Is there something more representative of the season that Dallas Cowboys have had so far between the terrible defense, the injury to Dak Prescott, now the injury to Andy Dalton, which we'll get to in a moment, then the team's defensive coordinator having to pause his press conference due to Tabasco in the eye?
1: I'm almost... Almost positive that that was just Jerry Jones buzzing down to somebody doing a, a kind of a Lou Lamorello impression. It was like, pull this guy up the stage, let's get him off. Just get in his ear, tell him that there's some Tabasco in his eye or something. Just get him off the mic because this team is just a tire fire, and you don't want anybody putting their foot in their mouth any more than the the cowboys already have so i'm not even convinced that it was truly a uh, hot sauce scenario Oh,
0: you're a conspiracy theorist Dallas brother i'd love to know know what you think about masks and uh, a presidential election perhaps we can do that a little bit later in the program but we should also you and i love how you mentioned jerry jones he took center stage this morning in another interview with a dallas radio station and here's how that sounded does your team have a leadership void
3: um uh, when when uh, uh where in the offensive line where you, just o- uh, just overall where, when seriously, but, but seriously seriously where where do you where would you have a leadership void is it an experience void
2: is it a talent void is it a leadership void i'm not trying to be cute here the answer is yeah. no
0: the answer yeah. is
2: no i
3: i'm there's asking not J- there's not a well just shut up and let me answer
0: no I almost feel bad for Jerry Jones. Almost feel bad for Jerry Jones. And clearly the Dallas media pouring on him and his cowboys and –
1: How's he supposed to answer that question, though? Because realistically, he's the man who put that team together. And Jerry yeah. Jones, yeah, he doesn't normally take the blame. And this is pretty much, if he's talking about a lack of leadership, that starts from the top. That starts with Jerry. It is Jerry's world after all. So you knew that he wasn't going to say, yeah, it starts with me. So, I mean, that, that went pretty much expect how I expected it to go.
0: So I would argue that there will be a leadership problem on the Dallas Cowboys as of Sunday. So the Cowboys are in Philly to play the Eagles. And it looks like Ben DiNucci, the team's seventh-round pick out of the... Prestigious James Madison University, we saw a little bit of him last week because we know we saw that uh, terrible shot that Andy Dalton took is uh, in concussion protocol, uncertain if not unlikely, he suits up on Sunday night, yes, that's right, Dallas and Philly is the Sunday nighter, so this game, when it opened, had the Eagles as seven and a half point favorites, and it has since been taken off the board, and we'll get into it with Jonathan Van Tobin when he joins us. From Vegas, Uh, he actually hosts a show called The Edge as well with VEASAN down in Vegas. So it is The Edge Vegas, meaning The Edge Toronto tonight. But as far as this line goes, and clearly there's a huge drop-off from Andy Dalton to Ben DiNucci. But what number would you have to take to take the Cowboys, considering the inexperience at quarterback, the injuries at offensive line, and just the horrible defense that they've demonstrated all season long?
1: I would probably take him around like nine and a half, maybe, maybe a <sighs> 10, 10 and a half game, I would consider taking the Cowboys just because the Eagles haven't been that great either. I mean, they just squeaked out a win against the Giants. They won by what? One point last week. Yep. So, and I know that the, the Giants at this point are probably better than the Cowboys, but does that mean that the Eagles are double digit better than the Cowboys? they will probably just be a really low scoring game. And, uh, it's just going to be a brutal game to watch. And it's so unfortunate that it's the Sunday Nighter. So
0: as I mentioned, Jonathan Van Tobel will join us in about six minutes' time. We have also the World Series Game 6 tonight. It is Tony Gonsolin on the hill for the L.A. Dodgers as they look to close out the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 6. Former Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell on the hill for the Rays. And we remember what happened when Gonsolin took the hill in Game 2. He lasted just an inning and a third, an inning and two-thirds, I should say. Not a good performance. Dustin May came in, and it was just a rough outing all around for the Dodgers. So Jonathan will fill us in on the latest from Vegas as far as the gambling goes from that one. But there is a line that I'm looking at right now that is blowing my mind. And not saying not saying it's unwarranted, Al's brother, but the New York Jets, who are 0-7, And they are 19-and-a-half-point underdogs at Kansas City against the Chiefs. And there have been 13 NFL games since 1978 with a spread of 20 points or more. There were actually two last year when the Jets covered as 20-and-a-half-point dogs against New England. And Dallas was a 22-point favorite against Miami. And they covered that number. That's crazy. That was just just over a year ago that that was the occasion. But underdogs of at least 20 points are 10-3 and 3 against the spread. What is your level of comfort taking the New York Jets this week, plus the points?
1: The thing I'm thinking about here is it kind of has backdoor cover smell all over it. Like you get to a point where Andy Reid is comfortably up by 20-some-odd points in the fourth quarter, and then they just start playing their their backups. And then when you're playing against backups, you think maybe New York can find themselves into the end zone at the end of the game when they're doing a two-minute drill and just end up squeak and buy and and covering at like seventeen or eighteen points. So I might be willing to roll the dice there on the Jets. That is a high, high number. It is. And it just it just reeks a backdoor, no? I don't think so,
0: man. I don't. I think the Jets are horrible and I think what we saw last week, and we're gonna talk about it with JVT when he joins us coming up here. The performance of the Buffalo Bills was very concerning for me. Just squeaking out an eight-point win against the Jets. The Jets are horrific. And Sam Darnold, I believe he had two completions in the second half. For most of the second half, there was nothing going on offensively for that team. They moved the ball pretty well early on. But it is a game that I want to focus on exclusively. Coming up next, it is the New England Patriots coming off a disastrous performance of their own against the San Francisco 49ers. They're visiting the Buffalo Bills and we'll tell you what the point spread is. It may may surprise you considering the circumstances. Aaron Korolnik, Al's brother behind the glass. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN
3: 1050. Freedom, 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 freedom,
0: freedom. Back here on The Edge, live on TSN 1050 in Toronto. We're streaming live on TSN 1050.ca. And The Edge is a radio program also down in Las Vegas. And the host of The Edge... On VEASAN Live, joins me on the program now. It is Jonathan Van Tobel. Vegas meets Toronto, the edge in between. What is up, Jonathan? How are you?
4: I'm doing good, man. You know, we're getting closer to another week of football. You know, this time of the year flies by when there's NFL every single Sunday, so it's going well.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. I listened to your program. I actually started very recently, so I'm thrilled to have you as part of our show tonight. And I want to start with the Patriots, They're in Buffalo. They're three-and-a-half-point dogs. They're coming off an embarrassing performance last week against the Niners. But I would argue, and you can let me know if this is a hot take, that the Buffalo Bills' performance against the New York Jets, beating them by just eight and performing pretty terribly on both sides of the ball early on, was equally as embarrassing as the Patriots getting smashed by the Niners. Is that a hot take or something that's reasonable?
4: No, I mean, like, look, I'm actually kind of with you when I'm looking at this game, right? Like, it got up to its highest four and the market brought it back down to three and a half. But you look at Buffalo and they have looked very different over the last three weeks. They started the year undefeated. They were averaging 30.7 points per game, right? 6.4 yards per play, 39 yards per drive. They had a plus 23 point differential. Uh, but you look at that plus 23 point differential and then you realize their opponents, right? Miami, the New York Jets, uh, the Raiders, right? All these teams that are pretty poor defensively. And you realize they were beaten up on some bad teams. And then you look at not only that Jets game, in which they go into Jets territory on all nine of their drives, never punt, but only manage uh, field goals. They go one for nine on third down in Jets territory. Oh, and by the way, two turnover-worthy plays, two dropped interceptions by the Jets, and a fumble that was lost by Josh Allen. Like, I'm completely with you. The, the Bills, I think, are a little overvalued here. I think they're kind of showing us the team that they've been this whole time. It's just now it's starting to fall apart around Josh Allen. Uh, you're buying really low on the New England Patriots this week, but I would, I'm would i totally down with that side of this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what to make of the Patriots. There's a lot of people that are just writing them off. Cam Newton has looked terrible in these two games. They lost to Denver at home, and we know what happened last week. But I totally agree with you. I think you are buying low on the Pats and getting four points at a place like Buffalo where the Patriots have absolutely dominated. And I understand Tom Brady was a part of those those teams for so many years. But the Patriots have not been an underdog in a division game for 30 straight games. 30 straight. That is the longest active streak, not surprisingly, in the NFL. And I want to stick with the the AFC East, I should say, because Tua Tagovailoa, he is making his first career start on Sunday against the L.A. Rams. We saw the Rams last night against the Bears acquit themselves very well, a very impressive 24-10 win. But the Rams are traveling east on a short week to Miami, who's coming off a bye. How do you evaluate this one and the spot in which you find Miami as a a four-and-a-half-point dog hosting the Rams?
4: So the Rams are kind of – I have a few teams, right, that, that I've been looking at this season around this time that, that I've been kind of looking to play against. And actually two of them played each other uh, last night, right? It was Chicago and Los Angeles. I took my shot, but I took my shot on the wrong team, right? I, I bet Los, uh, Chicago plus six and a half, and ultimately we know what happened. Um, and I still think that spot is coming for Los Angeles. But having said that, right, like you look at just this matchup on the field, because I agree with you everything, right, short week, going across the country, it is tough. And they've gone across the country multiple times now, the Los Angeles Rams. But you take on one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, a rookie quarterback into a tongue of Iloa. And what the Rams have quietly done, which I didn't think they'd be able to do this year, right? They lost Dante Fowler 11 and a half sacks last season. They have been one of the best front sevens in the NFL at opposing quarterbacks, like opposing pressure on them, right? Uh, They're near the top of the league in sacks, and near the top of the league in terms of pressure percentage, overall pressures as well. And I just don't think that's the greatest concoction, a rookie quarterback behind a bad offensive line in a front seven like this. So I'm ultimately going to stay away. I think the Rams' time is coming where we're going to get to play against them. I just feel like the matchup on the field benefits them a little bit more here against Miami, Uh, and I'll be looking for other spots to maybe fade Los Angeles.
0: He is Jonathan Van Tobel. He's the host of The Edge on VEASAN Live down in Las Vegas, joining us here on The Edge on TSN 1050 uh, in Toronto. And, Jonathan, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys in the first segment for obvious reasons. They're pretty much the laughing stock of the national football at this this point. And there is not currently a line posted on Dallas at Philly, but it did open as Dallas is a a 7.5-point dog against the Eagles who – did squeak out a win against the Giants, and I, I suppose you have to take small victories in any way you look at it. But assuming Ben Tanucci, the seventh-round pick and a James Madison, is under, under center for the Cowboys on Sunday night, what do you think that line ends up at, Dallas at the, Philly?
4: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it's probably going to be that seven-and-a-half or right around there. Uh, I know that they went and signed uh, Garrett Gilbert a couple weeks ago for some more depth, uh, but it looks like all reports are that it's going to be Tanucci preparing for this potential start um here's the thing man like and i think you guys would agree with this as bad as the cowboys have been right offensively since they've lost Dak prescott defensively all year long the infighting the anonymous reports i have not seen a single thing this season that would give me confidence in laying seven and a half points with the philadelphia eagles regardless of the opponent and so Well, I think this number is going to be like seven, seven and a half. And I tried to buy low on Dallas this last weekend against Washington. I got bit by it. I will stay away from this one, too. But it's just, to me, like, I think this is one you got to scratch off because even if the Cowboys are as bad as they look, they are, the Philadelphia Eagles are nowhere near a seven and a half point favorite, I think, against anybody in the National Football League, let alone a division rival
0: it is remarkable to think about the plight of the Dallas Cowboys especially when you when you compare and contrast them to what the Philadelphia Eagles have gone through this year think about the injuries on both sides of the ball the eagles have suffered and I don't know if it's because they haven't played in a while. They're coming off a win against the Giants. But it seems like the betting public is perhaps a little bit too hard on on the Dallas Cowboys, especially when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, who are not a good team in their own right. I want to get to the game of the weekend. It's the Baltimore Ravens hosting the 6-0, and the only undefeated team in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the Ravens are coming off a bye, and they opened as five-and-a-half-point favorites. It was curious to me, and I'm not surprised to see that number being bet down to three and a half, even three in some spots. What do you make of this game, and how do you evaluate the line?
4: Yeah, so I'm actually, you know, I think this is kind of a buy-low spot here for the Baltimore Ravens. Look, uh, Lamar Jackson hasn't really been performing very well. I think it's four consecutive games in which he's been held to under 200 yards passing. Uh, The offense has really kind of been stuck in neutral. It's been nowhere near the level of offense uh, that we have seen from Baltimore, especially last year, right, when uh, Lamar Jackson won that MVP But they are still a top three defense if you look at some of the uh, you know analytics, especially like Football Outsiders. I like their DVOA metrics, so they're still a top five unit there. Uh, One of the better coverage units in the National Football League. And I look at the Steelers, and this has been a team that's been flying under the radar. Uh, They are uh, what undefeated up to this point. They have failed to cover all games except for one, and that was that Denver Broncos game, which is a little weird, considering the Broncos on their back of quarterback for a majority of that year. Uh, But I think this is, at this point right now, when we're looking at this, to me in the NFL, I'm always looking for opportunities, right? Buying low and selling high on certain teams. I've backed the Steelers for a couple of weeks now, and I think this is the time where I'm going to use this to get off the train and buy low on the Baltimore Ravens. You know, the Steelers have treated, you know, the market's been really low on Pittsburgh, and now all of a sudden they're coming in here on a Baltimore team that's a little well rested, and I think now that this number's down to like three and a half, this is an opportunity for betters to get in on a pretty good number of Baltimore. So I do like the Ravens here, this spot against the, uh, against the Steelers.
0: Totally agree, and out of their bye under John Harbaugh, the Ravens 10-2 and straight up, 9-3 and against the spread. So they've had success in this spot, and it's curious to me, Jonathan, Jonathan Van Tobel, our guest from VEASAN Live uh, down in Vegas, that the Ravens are still the favorites to win the AFC North in spite of being a full game behind the Steelers, and I understand they are the favorite in this game this weekend, but do you think there's any value on perhaps looking at the Ravens to win the division as well?
4: Yeah, I mean, there, there, there potentially could be right. It depends on how you handicap this game. Like you always have to like, take everything into account, right? So if you're out there and you're handicapping this game, and you think that the uh, Ravens, for example, are going to win this game against Pittsburgh, and you like the Steelers then I think there is value then, right, in taking um, uh, the Ravens, right, because that price is going to go up potentially. Uh, but at the same time, if you fancy yourself that the Steelers should win this division, uh, but you also think they could win this game against Baltimore as well, you're going to take it now because that price is going to shrink. And so it all just depends on the about way things. Uh, I think overall the Steelers team is pretty good. The thing that worries me about them is just that, like, the 17th overall offense, right, in terms of efficiency is not very good, and the Ravens are going to be a top-ten unit on both sides of the ball. And so ultimately I do think the Ravens are going to win this
0: division. Let me get you out of here with a World Series Game 6 call, and it looks to me that some money has been coming in on the Rays, which does not necessarily surprise me, considering they do have the superior starting pitcher. Tonight it's Blake Snell for the Rays. Tony Gonsolin will start for the Dodgers. We'll see how long he goes, because it seems that Dave Roberts has had quite an early hook on Gonsolin. In spite of a pretty impressive regular season, So the Dodgers minus 130 tonight after being around minus 140, minus 145 for most of the day. Where does your money lie this evening? First pitch just after 8 o'clock.
4: I Actually, I, have, I bet the Rays after game one to win the series of plus 330, so I'm hoping Ooh. they can pull this out. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this for a couple of different things. You mentioned Gonsolin and the short hook. You're absolutely right. But I feel like with Roberts having an extra game in his pocket, right, a potential game savvy to fall back on, he'll probably extend the leash a little bit so he doesn't have to get into that bullpen that actually hasn't been great, except for when Dustin May finally turned things around last time we saw him. Gonsolin hasn't been good. Like, this matchup sets up much better for the Rays, and I can understand the market coming in. The one thing that worries me is that Snell, for as solid as he's been, he's got eight walks over his last eight and two-thirds innings of work. Like, he's going to walk guys. And when you're walking guys, then it leaves opportunities right for, you know, the Dodgers. I ultimately lean Rays here, uh, but I, it just worries me that Snell has seemingly, you know, this control issue that he's had in his career has been popping up over the last three or four starts. And that, that's not going to give you a lot of confidence in Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, I guess the sentimental pick would always be to see a Game 7. Game 7 of the World Series does not get much better than that. does not get much better than having you on our program, Jonathan. Thank you so much much for the time. It's great to have you with us, and hopefully we can do it again down the road.
4: Anytime, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. That is Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN Live down in Las Vegas. He hosts a radio program called The Edge, and no, there will be no lawsuits from either side, be it from TSN or VEASAN. We are uh, compatriots now, the good folks at VEASAN Live uh, and The Edge. Coming up next, man, there were some significant injuries in the world of fantasy football. A wide receiver who was previously one of the top options for the past decade back in the league and what to do with the Dallas Cowboys' skill position players Dave Richard from CBS Sports, one of their fantasy football experts, joins me next here on The Edge, live on TSN 1050. Hey. Alright, we're back here on The Edge, live on TSN 1050, and the voice guy said it best. We give you the expert advantage on gambling and fantasy, and when it comes to fantasy football, no expert advantage is great as as the one our next guest can provide, his name is Dave Richard from CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ. What's going on, Dave? How you doing?
3: Aaron, hell of an introduction. Appreciate that, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm rolling tonight. I hope you are as well.
0: Well, I'm doing all right, but I need to be upfront and honest with you. I may have a lot of Dallas Cowboys on my fantasy team, so I've been struggling with the last maybe two weeks or so. As soon as Dak Prescott went down, I've been very conflicted because we know that Andy Dalton, not what Dak Prescott is and now Andy Dalton's hurt and it sounds like we may have Ben DiNucci as the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys what to do with guys like Zeke Elliott Amari Cooper CeeDee Lamb are they startable at all if Dalton is indeed out on Sunday night
3: well the first the good news is that their offensive line might get two starters back Joe Looney expected back in Zach Martin who's an all pro left guard um, there's a good chance he plays, and if that if those guys play and their center, their rookie center has been playing kind of okay. Well, the interior of the line can probably help Ezekiel Elliott get some good running going. So, Zeke is just too – he's got way too much potential to put on your bench. His value has taken a huge hit, but I think you still view him as a must-start fantasy running back. But that's where the must-starts end in Dallas. You can make the case in PPR leagues that Amari Cooper could be a must-start wide receiver, but honestly, it's hard to get behind any of the pass catchers there, knowing that the tackles are still going to be backups no matter what, and that it could be Ben DiNucci. And even if it's not Ben Denucci, what if it's Andy Dalton? He hasn't been great. That it's, it's really, it's seriously, it's going to hurt these guys. They've really only had one quarter of good production with Andy Dalton or Denucci over the last two weeks. So I can't feel good about starting Cooper, uh, especially against Philadelphia. They've got a shutdown corner in Darius Slay. He's probably going to be assigned to Cooper. That means that they'll they'll take their chances. Philadelphia will with their other pass catchers, Gallup and Lamb, and they're just not going to have time. Or I should say the quarterback's just not going to have time to throw downfield to Gallup. And Lamb, he had five targets last week, couldn't come up with any of them. Hard to trust him at this point as well. I think the best advice I can give you, Aaron, is to just hang on, start Ezekiel Elliott if you've got him. Start Amari Cooper, I guess, is maybe with flex expectations. How about that? We'll call it that. Um, but you can't trade him because you're not going to get anything fair for any Dallas Cowboys. And hope that their offensive line can start to pull it together here in the second half of the season.
0: And you might want to consider the Philadelphia Eagles as a fantasy defense, considering what you may see from seventh-round pick in James Madison University, Ben DiNucci. I want to ask you about another wide receiver who we're not going to see this week, but he will be back in week nine. Of course, I'm talking about Antonio Brown, who was one of if not the most consistent fantasy wide receiver for the last decade, most of which with the Pittsburgh Steelers, one game with the New England Patriots. We know that Chris Godwin will miss this upcoming Monday nighter with a finger injury, but he could be back in Week 9, so you might see Evans, Godwin, and Antonio Brown in the lineup together paired with Tom Brady. How do you expect this situation to, to fall out, and what do you expect from Antonio Brown from a fantasy perspective, Dave?
3: I, I would expect the Bucs, who want to keep throwing the football, uh, no matter who their running back is, they, they've got Tom Brady quarterback. Bruce Arians loves to pass. They will attack downfield against everybody that they play. So you should expect at least 30 to 35 pass attempts at a minimum for the Bucs offense moving forward. And I would imagine there will be a very high concentration in targets among their top three receivers. Antonio Brown, we're going to start off with as a number three receiver in fantasy. We know that he's still got good quickness and good route running ability and good hands. We think the speed is still there. There have been social videos of A.B. practicing. Remember back in the offseason, he was working out with Russell Wilson. He was working out with Lamar Jackson. he, He still has the skills. Whether they're still at the same level as they were a couple of years ago remains to be seen. But I think that if you if you start him off as a number three receiver, maybe even a low-end number two receiver, knowing that Tom Brady probably campaigned very hard to have Antonio Brown come to Tampa Bay, I think that's, that, that's a safe floor and that's a good place to start. But you know what his potential is, and he could end up being a league winner. And let's face facts, Godwin was hurt before he broke his finger last week, and now he's going to miss a game. Mike Evans, you watch him play, he can still cut, but his speed is zapped. And Bruce Arians said that he's playing at about 80 to 85%. So he's not the same guy. Antonio Brown gives them a big dose of speed. They need it, and Tom Brady can still chuck it deep. There was evidence of that last week on the touchdown to Scott Miller. He's basically, Antonio Brown's basically going to take over for Miller. But he's got a league-winning upside. And if the person who's got Antonio Brown isn't sure what to do with him in your league, acquire him. It shouldn't cost a ton. He's got a chance to help you win the championship in your fantasy league, provided that he does get good regular playing time and targets in Tampa Bay. I think that's going to happen. And that he stays as a model citizen off the field, which, of course, I can't tell you is definitely going to happen. It's probably unlikely that it's going to happen. But as long as he he doesn't do anything really stupid, he's going to finish off the year with Tampa Bay and go into the playoffs with the Bucs, and that means he's going to have some good fantasy numbers from week nine on.
0: Dave Richard is a model citizen in the fantasy football world. They, one of the experts with CBS Sports. And I want to ask you about another wide receiver situation. This uh, involving a guy who won many a league last year's name is Michael Thomas. One of, actually, he was absolutely the best wide receiver in fantasy last year and the best wide receiver in the NFL, but he hasn't played since week one. And something weird is going on with Michael Thomas and the Saints. He's had the ankle injury. He was suspended for a game. The trade rumors. Now he's got the hamstring. What kind of value do you think Michael Thomas has for the rest of the season, Dave?
3: He's got depressed value right now, and and now's a good time. If last week wasn't a good time to trade for him, now would be another good time. And, And again, someone who you shouldn't have to give up what his value was a couple of months ago when we were drafting and taking him as the number one receiver in fantasy football. Uh, we've seen high ankle sprains really sabotage players' seasons a bunch of times, and this could be the case with Michael Thomas, where he had the high ankle sprain after week one, and then he comes back and he he comes back to practice, and the hamstring injury slows him down, and now we don't know when he's going to come back. And we don't know what the target share is going to be. Is it going to be as high as it was in 2019? I'm thinking no. So I'm nervous to say that Michael Thomas is going to come back and be the best receiver in fantasy football, but I think he's got a chance to be top ten once he does come back. When's that going to happen? I would imagine it'll be at least one more week, if not two, before we see Thomas out there with New Orleans.
0: Let's take a look at the Week 8 waiver wire. Many leagues process transactions this evening, overnight this evening. And on Sunday night, both Chris Carson and Kenyon Drake went down, making Carlos Hyde and Chase Edmonds in particular very valuable commodities. Who do you have as your top waiver pickup for this week in, let's call it, standard fantasy football leagues?
3: Oh, Aaron, if I can get my hands on Chase Edmonds, I'm taking him in a heartbeat. He's got an audition to be the primary back for Arizona for at least the next couple of weeks, and it could be the rest of the season. We just don't know how long Kenyon Drake is going to be out. Now, he's a different type of running back than Drake. Drake actually ended up being a very physical back for Arizona, but that (laughs) led to his downfall because he got hurt. Edmonds is small, but he's fast, and he's got great hands, and Arizona figures to use him the right way and to really lean on him as a short area option for Kyler Murray. This should lock up Kyler Murray as the leading rusher, for Arizona this year of course he was probably well on his way there even before the Drake injury but I would love to get Edmonds and I view him as a number two fantasy running back and another guy who's a dark horse to be a league winner if Kenyon Drake does miss the rest of the season after that it's not pretty Carlos Hyde has a tight hamstring there's no guarantee he's going to play he's available in 80 percent of CBS sports leagues he looked okay to me at least health wise finishing up the game against Arizona last week, I would imagine that if he's close to 100%, he will absolutely be out there for Seattle in a must-win game for them against the 49ers. So if I can't get my heads on Edmonds, Hyde will be first for me. But then there's some other running backs that are out there that are in just as uncertain situations as Hyde. Guys like Jermichael Hasty in San Francisco, Gus Edwards in Baltimore um travis homer and dj dallas also in seattle tevin coleman is available in 75 percent of leagues so there are a bunch of players at running back that you might be able to get maybe on your second or your third time down on the waiver wire order who could end up sprouting into your lineup as soon as this week coleman is certainly somebody that could do it and dj dallas i have ahead of him as someone who could end up being there if carlos Hyde is out so what's the real answer here Even with all the uncertainty, if I can't get Edmonds, Hyde's first, Jermichael Hasey of the 49ers is second, DJ Dallas third, Gus Edwards fourth, Tevin Coleman fifth.
0: We'll call that All right. Thorough breakdown of the running back position. I need to get your opinion on the wide receiver position as far as waivers go because I'm sure a lot of owners out there had Odell Beckham Jr. in one of their wide receiver spots. Not the greatest season is that game he had against the Dallas Cowboys, Probably going to be the standout uh, performance from him uh, as a Cleveland Brown, and we know he's done for the year with the torn ACL. Is there a wide receiver or two out there that you can recommend for fantasy owners, Dave?
3: I'm scared to say this, but I, I bet that Odell's big game against Dallas was his last big game maybe ever. He won't have yeah. a game like that again in the NFL. Uh, look, I, I think Brandon Ayuk might be the safest guy to get off the waiver wire this week in San Francisco. He's got a nice, safe floor, nine PPR points in four of his past five games with the 49ers. Great matchup this week against Seattle. No Debo Samuel at wide receiver for San Francisco. So Brandon Ayuk might have an opportunity to haul in seven or eight passes, and some of them are going to be those little pop passes. You know what I'm talking about, where he runs in motion before the snap, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo just flips it to him. You know, the the ball might travel half a foot, but he flips it to him, that's a pass, and it could end up being something very good for Brandon Ayuk. I think he's startable, and that's not something we can guarantee with pretty much all the running backs that I just ran through before. He would be at the top of the list for wide receiver, ahead of guys like... Scott Miller with Tampa Bay, Sterling Shepard with the Giants. Nelson Aguilar is someone that you might feel gross putting on a waiver claim for, but he's actually given you at least double-digit fantasy points each of the past three weeks for the Vegas Raiders. And then you come to Richard Higgins, who's going to be the guy that really replaces Odell in Cleveland, but he's been in this opportunity before, and he hasn't really come through with big numbers. He's an okay guy to add, but not even close to being, you know, the top three or four receivers that I'd want off waivers this week.
0: He is Dave Richard. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Richard. Make sure to follow all of his terrific work on Twitter and at CBS Sports. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time this evening. We appreciate your terrific insight.
3: You're very very welcome. Good luck in your waiver pickups tonight and tomorrow. Thank you.
0: I, I got savaged by injury. I'm going to need all the help I can get and your advice is going to carry me through. Thank you Dave. You got it. All right. That is Dave Richard from CBS Sports and Al's brother, I know you had Odell Beckham Jr. on your fantasy squad. Hopefully Brandon Ayuk is out there in the very competitive TSN 1050 Fantasy League, which I hear there is a lot of commotion at all times of night, just yelling, screaming obscenities. Not surprised to hear it from the low lives who work at our radio station. I'm Aaron Korolnik. We'll be back on the other side with the latest Super Bowl odds, NFL MVP odds, and a look at World Series Game 6 with ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. Back after that. Wrapping things up here on The Edge, live on TSN 1050. We're streaming online, tsn1050.ca. Make sure to subscribe to the pod. Big things coming for our podcast subscribers at The Edge. And make sure to check out all of the great content put out by TSN Edge as a whole. The consortium, as I like to call them. All this great stuff on tsn.ca slash edge. And make sure to follow the whole squad on Twitter at tsn underscore edge. So tonight... World Series Game 6. The L.A. Dodgers just one win away from their seventh World Series title. And the Rays, they're 2-0 and this postseason when facing elimination, so they have been resilient. And we're going to see Tony Gonsolin on the mound for the Dodgers, pitching just one and one-third innings in his short-lived Game 2 outing. He allowed a dinger and a walk, and he surrendered Eight earned runs in just in seven and 2 third post third, postseason innings this year. Ooh, Aaron, come on, buddy. You can do this. It show's almost over. So um, you might want to look at the Rays and Blake Snell on the hill as a underdog. The Dodgers minus 130, meaning you can get the Rays but plus 110, plus 115 tonight. Al's brother, are you riding with me and the Rays, or are you on the Dodgers to close up shop tonight?
1: I think I'm going to root for a game seven because it's been a really, really fun series to watch. And let's go with the better pitching because Blake Snell, he's a Cy Young winner. And I just believe that he'll be able to go out tonight with the game on the line, their season on the line. He's going to be lights out. And hopefully, hopefully they let him cook and go at least six or seven innings because they're not going to want to blow their bullpen for tomorrow either. He has
0: not gone more than five and two-thirds this year, has Blake Snell. And he's facing a very potent Dodgers lineup, which was addressed this morning by ESPN's MLB insider Buster Olney. What Blake Snell is up against, it's tough.
2: You know, the other day I was talking with uh, Rays manager Kevin Cash about the Dodgers lineup, and I asked him to compare the, the, the Dodgers lineup to other lineups he'd seen in his time in baseball, and he said they would have to be at the top uh, because the depth and the quality, uh, the discipline and the toughness of the group, and th- that is the most consistent unit in this World Series. You know, other parts of, the, of both teams kind of go up and down from day to day, but that Dodgers lineup in the end I think will, will wind up being the difference. Think about this. You know, in this postseason, they've scored 59 runs with two outs. That is the most in history. Uh, They have scored 43 runs with two strikes. Uh, that is the most since they started tracking that statistic in 1974. They have 62 extra base hits, which is the most in any postseason. Uh, they have nine home runs, uh, or excuse me, home runs from nine different players in this World Series. That is the most in history. Um, you know, whether you're Tyler Glass now or Blake Snell or Charlie Morton, trying to navigate through that group is like walking through a den of rattlesnakes. Uh, you might... You know, get through, uh, you know, these two over on the right, but there are three waiting for you on the other side. And I think in the end, it's going to wind up being the difference in the series.
0: And I suppose, as Buster intimated so well, that it is the prolific Dodgers batters. You guys like Bellinger, Seeger, Monsey, amongst others, Mookie Betts, of course, that could make the difference in this one. And I want to quickly get to the latest Super Bowl odds ahead of week week number eight. Kansas City leads the way at plus 375 followed by Baltimore, followed by, get this, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. Tom Brady has been awesome so far as a 43-year-old quarterback. And it's crazy to think that prior to this season, there had been eight instances of 43-year-old quarterbacks starting games in the NFL. Eight. Tom Brady about to make his eighth start as a 43-year-old quarterback this coming Sunday, actually it's Monday night against the New York Giants, the Bucks favored by 11 points in New York and The third best odds doesn't necessarily surprise me. They're followed by Pittsburgh, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, the Rams, the Titans. And I think when I'm looking at value, Al's brother, just the way that the San Francisco 49ers have looked in the last couple of weeks, they're getting healthy. They have a critical matchup against the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle this week where they are three-point dogs. But do you think there's any value on San Fran at 25-1 to to at least get back to the Super Bowl or you could maybe throw in a hedge?
1: No, I don't. Uh, I think that there's, well, there's just a couple of season, like season long injuries. Like no no Nick Bosa for the whole year. So they're getting healthy, but they're not getting Nick Bosa back, who, you know, last year he was just a a force to be reckoned with coming off the edge. And uh, without him, that, that defense isn't quite as good. The corners aren't quite as good. The linebackers aren't quite as good because, you know, you're not triple teaming that guy anymore. And it, it just frees up some more uh, players. So I, I don't see the 49ers as the class of the NFC like we saw last season. Yeah, and
0: and I think that's totally fair, and I'm looking at maybe Tennessee at plus 2,000. We know what they were able to do last year, and Tannehill and Derrick Henry, when those guys are in the lineup, and yes, they lost to Pittsburgh last week. A game could have easily gone to overtime if Steven Goskowski uh, wasn't so much of a scrub these days. I don't know whatever happened to him, because he was incredible for all those years, and he's missed a lot of big kicks so far this season for Tennessee, but that team looks primed and ready to go offensively. Defensively, I'm not so sure. Sticking with the offensive side of the football, the NFL MVP w- odds after Week 7, Russell Wilson has the same odds as the field for the NFL's MVP, which really surprised me, considering the play of tom brady you can get tom brady at 12 or 14 to 1 to an mvp of course aaron Rodgers, lamar jackson patrick mahomes and i thought russell wilson was not good at all on sunday night against the cardinals not a vaunted defense that arizona is putting out there with chandler jones out and three picks i mean and some questionable decisions i'm seeing some value on the field brother you with me on that one
1: Nope, going against you once again. Okay. I, Russell Wilson to me is the undisputed MVP so far. So if I'm yes, voting, yes, I on So far, it's Russell Wilson, and he's cooking, and I think they can keep it going. You know, the, the entire season. There's nothing that shows that's shown me that he's not. There is nobody in this league, not even Patrick Mahomes, that throws a deep ball the way that he does, and he gets all those weapons. Tyler Lockett had himself a night on Sunday. Mm-hmm. DK Metcalf is an absolute freak of nature. Like Russell Wilson has some weapons around him, and and they're just going to keep going all season long. I have absolutely no no quorum to not take him as the, my number one.
0: I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot about the New England Patriots on the pound-the-table picks of the week. And I think Bill Belichick, you know, when he's about to go to sleep, staring at his ceiling, looking up and be like, oh, my God, I took Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf in last year's draft. What was I doing? because DK Metcalf is going to be one of the best wide receivers, certainly one of the most jacked wide receivers, or men on earth, for the next 15 years, and Nikhil Harry, he's not. Al's brother, another quality program. Thank you to two terrific guests making their their debuts, Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN Live in Vegas and Dave Richard from CBS Sports. Thanks to my man Al's brother behind the glass doing a terrific job. As always, I am Aaron Korolnik, and you've been listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050.